back to All About Apprenticeships, brought to you by the HomeServe Foundation. I'm Georgie Frost, and coming up in the first episode of 2021, from BBC business journalist to queen of the lunchtime airwaves. But did you know that Steph McGovern began her career as an apprentice? I said this to Gavin Williamson because I once he asked me to come and talk to him about my thoughts on um, vocational training. And I said to him, the problem is, you guys have paid a lot of lip service to this because you all say, yeah, yeah, we support apprenticeships. But actually, do you know any? Do you know any apprentices? There's absolutely no way in a million years I would be on telly if I hadn't have done that apprenticeship at Black & Decker. No way. I'll be chatting to her to find out how it all began, how it influenced her career, and what exactly are ball pizzles. Also, new year, new lockdown, sadly. Laura Burley from the Open University will be here to tell us about her hopes for 2021 and what impact the latest restrictions might have. Plus, we'll meet another of our apprentices. This week, it's 19-year-old Jasmine King. But first, she leapt to prominence as one of the BBC's leading business journalists. And now she rules daytime telly with her Channel 4 show, Steph's Packed Lunch. And... Well, she started working life as an engineering apprentice. In fact, she was so good that she wants one young engineer for Britain. Steph McGovern, welcome to All About Apprenticeships. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on. Uh, thanks, Georgie. Thanks for having me. Apprenticeships are one of the things that I, if I ever get asked to talk about, I'm like, yes, yeah, we should talk more about them. They're brilliant. You know, so I, I'm really grateful to be getting the chance to do that again with you now. <laughs> you are someone who hasn't just had one, but you are really vocal about the fact that you have just tell us about your apprenticeship then yeah what did you train as why did you decide to go down that particular route what was your background yeah so I went to a school that was um in a tough area uh but what was different about the school was that it was sponsored by industry um so funnily enough I never learned what this acronym was until I was older we were sponsored by BAT which is British American Tobacco so, uh, like, you just wouldn't think that that would be a thing, would you, like a fag company uh, sponsoring a school? But they were. And actually, what they did was they put a lot of money into the school to, to provide good facilities and things. And also, there was a real sense of the importance of the working world in what we did. So we um, had lots of trips to local businesses. We, you know, I come from an area in Middlesbrough, which is very high industry, lots of heavy industry and things. And um, we were taken out to see all the various different companies like ICI and British Steel and then all the supply chain and things. So from a really young age, I had a really tangible sense of the world of work. And what I saw was engineering is a good mm-hmm. uh, job to have. And I, and I could see that from the trips we'd been on and I could see that there weren't that many women doing it so maybe there was an opportunity there for me uh, to try and you know cash in on that and and there were lots of kind of different scholarships and experiences offered in terms of you know getting experience of business so it was that really that set me off on this idea of the world of work and I really knew that I wanted to be in it I was okay academically, but I that's not what I liked the most. I liked practical hands-on things, uh, and that's how I learn. I, le- I learn from doing stuff, not just being told stuff or reading stuff. Um, so, yeah, so then when I was doing my A-levels and things, I was kind of just trying to decide what to do. And, uh, I, and Black & Decker was a company that was pretty local to the school. I mean, it was slightly further away than some of the others, but – they were offering like an apprenticeship scheme. And I just thought, yeah, they were, you know, really well-known brand, obviously make power tools and things like that. And I just thought, 
actually, you know, I can't afford necessarily to go to uni. And this is a really good way to earn some money and get experience in a big company. So and that really is why I think I've done well in life is because I had that training inside a factory where I was going to college as well and learning academic stuff. But more importantly, I was on a shop floor learning about what it's like to work in a factory, learning about being an engineer and, you know, getting to work on things like product design and seeing how they make things and design things and then what the purchasing system is and what the supply chain is. And I was learning all that at 18. And so that to me just meant I felt like I was really understanding the the business world and the world of work. Um, And I, I look at my mates who I went to school with as well, And because we'd all been like pushed in this direction of, you know, your education leads to a job, that's how we all thought. And so even though some of my mates come from really tough backgrounds, they've gone on to have fabulous careers because we really had a good sense of, you know, you're out there, you're at school to get a job. And actually, we all learn in different ways. Some of you will be academic, some of of you will be more vocationally led, and that is fine. and, And that's why... I'm so passionate about it now because I think if we're going to level up, if we're going to get people to have successful careers and not be held back by, uh, you know, their their background, how much money their parents have or whatever, then doing vocational training is a really good way to do that. And that's why I bang on about it because I want it to have the same level of esteem as purely academic stuff. And there's nothing wrong with that, with purely academic learning, but it's just we all learn differently and that's why mm. it's key. Do you think it was a bit, and there still is perhaps a bit of snobbery? Yeah, totally, you know, like, and I even felt that myself, you know, when I first started working at the BBC, I I didn't, I was a little bit like, oh yeah, um, you know, yeah, I did did an apprenticeship, but I've got a degree as well. Because then obviously I felt like I had to get a degree in order to prove my intelligence. Because, you know, it was at the time when Tony Blair came out and said, 50% 50% of young people should get to yeah. uni. And I can see how aspirationally that might be a really positive thing to say. But as a kid, as a teenager who can't necessarily afford to go to uni, what you're saying is, if you don't go, you're a bit thick. And that annoys me. That annoyed me so much. And I actually remember having an argument with Alistair Campbell about this a few years ago, obviously, Tony Blair's spin doctor, because I was like, why did you say that? You actually, and he went, that was a really good thing we said, Steph. And I was like, Actually, no, you told a lot of us that the only way to be considered clever was to go to uni. And, and you know, that I still think that lingers a bit now is that thing of, you know, we, we talk about bright kids at school being the ones who do well in exams. There are tons of bright kids who aren't necessarily doing well at exams. They just do things in a slightly different way. And so that that's why I, I like literally bang on about it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and fair enough. I just want to know, was there ever an issue? I mean, I know the Northeast quite well. I used to I used to work up there. You know, it's it's seeped in industry. And so I can understand why coming from that background, it, it was perhaps more normalised that that would be what you'd do. But was there ever an issue that this isn't what girls should be doing? You know, and an engineering apprenticeship of all things. I mean, how were you yeah. encouraged down that path? Well, do you know, interestingly, like at school again I mean I, I I kind of look back at my school now and think wow that was really forward thinking and actually really brilliant for so many things that where equality lacks and actually at school engineering was just as much for girls as it was for boys uh, and I really felt that however when I then left obviously my school went into the big wide world and joined Black and Decker I was one of very very few women 
And then when I went to do my engineering degree, I was literally again a mine in the minority. And that was interesting. But do you know, it I don't think it made me That think, was interesting. Hang on, well, stop. What was that was interesting? Well, because interesting in the sense of I didn't think oh, this is a bad thing in terms of, for me personally, I thought, right, well, I'm going to get noticed more. And I I used it to my advantage, you know, like some of the awards I won, I won quite a lot of money for them too. And I entered them because I knew as a woman I'd stand out and I'd be like, I'm, I can do this job just as well as the lads. So I don't think that it held me back. I actually think I used it in my power to be, to make myself stand out and, you know, I, and the problem is, though, is fast forward 18 years later and we still have a massive gap of women in engineering. And that is a terrible thing. And I think that, you know, I meet lots of brilliant female apprentices but and female engineers, but not enough of them. And it's it's still like it's so hard when you hear another company say to you, oh, what can we do to get more women in, into engineering? And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe we're still having this conversation 20 years on. Um what can so, we do though about that step? Is it a question of more female role models for young women? Do you know what it is? It, it's about for me the, the way I think we need to do it is because I, I hear lots of people saying to me, "You need to get more people into schools, go in and talk to them." No, that we can't all get into schools, and we definitely can't at the minute. But it's about where a kid's learning. And often now they are learning online. Where do they like spending their time? They like spending their time on YouTube on gaming so it's about showing them that that there's engineering in those worlds it's about showing you know minecraft is a perfect example of that's engineering essentially because a lot of engineering now is is done online and it's it's about creating things online uh creating worlds online and it's about trying to make those links for young people so they can see so for example I always say like companies should do little YouTube videos of their engineers who work there and let them decide the content. Don't let them just do a corporate video where they have a pan around the office and stand next to the best machine where they chat. It's it should let them, you know, create show that show people what they do and the fun things they do and let them have control over the content. Like trust your apprentices. You trust them with working in your company. So trust them to be the face of your company as well and let them create their own like YouTube channels or whatever and on the side. And that maybe like that's how young people can be interested in seeing what they're doing and learn from that rather than you know, it being like, right, everyone, sit down. We've got an engineer who's going to come in and talk to you today. Because it's even a bit like as a journalist, I did not know any journalist as a, as a child or even in my teens or it wasn't until I joined the BBC. And so I didn't have any idea what a journalist did. I made an assumption and I made an assumption that they had to be brilliant at English, at English exams. And actually, my job is just about chatting on and telling stories and telling them factually correctly. And so again, if it's about the conversations we have with kids about what these jobs are, you know, it's it's actually, yeah. you know, it's just explaining. Do you know a journalist is someone who is gossips, and I mean they've got their facts right, but basically they're just a gossip, and they tell people before things going on before everyone else, uh, blah blah blah. And then people will think differently about what a journalist is. Similarly, an engineer is pretty much everything in our life is created by an engineer and there are so many elements to it there is the people that they're you know creating stuff online there are people physically building things whatever you like doing I can guarantee there's a job in engineering involved in it and so it's it's just making things more tangible I think so that young people 
can actually learn about what all these jobs are and 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 see them and and yeah absolutely appreciate what they are rather than just being told in one career session this is what a so-and-so is this is what you know it, it just doesn't work like that that's not how kids take things on I don't think yeah, making it relevant to their everyday lives. All right, then if a little YouTube video of young Steph were to be uh, released, what sort of things were you doing at Black & Decker? What were yeah. some of the standout so, things that you remember the most? Yeah, like, so for example, one of my jobs was to try and help them design a new vacuum cleaner. So I had to go out and buy every single vacuum cleaner on the market and then test them. And like literally, but design like this system, it's called a plenum chamber to test vacuum cleaners on. So I got to design it all and then make, then get someone to make it actually. So someone helped me make it weld together this big plenum chamber and then go out and test vacuum cleaners. Similarly, we did it with pressure washers. And then it was all about the ergonomics of it as well. Like what was the best hand and handle position and what was the suction light and everything else. And and then go and work with the design team and give them all the results that I'd found. And, and I had a right laugh doing it because I used to get to drive the company car as well to go to all these shops. So I used to whack on the CD player because it was CDs at the time and like play blast music out the car. I'd be like driving down the road. I was only 18, like driving this amazing car. To, to me, it was amazing then. And like driving to the shops, going and buying the vacuum cleaners on the credit card company, going back, like mucking around with them, having a bit of banter with the other people I worked with. And that's what I think we should see. But interestingly, whenever I had to do like media for uh, engineering and for my job, because after I'd won Young Engineer for Britain, I used to get interviewed quite a lot. It was always like stand in front of the best bit of the building and, you know, slightly look off camera and give us a smile. It wasn't natural. It wasn't, it was all like corporate. And I think that's what we need to do is loosen that corporate perfection around us. Like actually what do, maybe that's what the shareholders want to see are these polished videos, but that's not what your future employees want to see. They want to see the nitty gritty. They want to know what goes on. They want to know what the canteen's like. Like our canteen at work was class. And things like that matter. It does. So, trust me, it matters. You know, it does, doesn't yeah. it? We all talk about like the BBC canteen as if it's you know, a place of great mystery because that's you think people care about these things. Mm, I can guarantee the Times and the Mail have fantastic canteens as well. Um, <laughs> let's tell me though about bull pizzles. Have I said oh, that right? God, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the times when because um, I got trained in all this stuff around lean production as well. So called Six Sigma, and it was all about you know trying to do everything as efficiently as you can and so I, I got trained in all of this I became a green belt in Six Sigma which sounds like I, you know I've got some type of karate training or whatever but it's <laughs> it's to do with production um but anyway the, the guy who ran that um project used to also send me out amongst other jobs to go and get his dog food um from the local place that sold these I mean I don't have animals so I don't have a dog and I was like I, I never but I had to go in and buy bulls pizzles which to anyone who doesn't know, is the rude bit of a bull. Uh, oh. So I had to go and buy them from the shop. That was one of, and I mean, you wouldn't expect to do that as an engineer. And uh, I mean, I'm not condoning companies doing that. But again, even that was just funny in itself, just like going out to get the boss's dog food. Well, I mean, it's you've said it's like working as an apprentice, I suppose. You know, you know what it's like to work from 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 every point of view, as it were. You, you haven't had... I, I don't mean it, the, the privileged kind of where people are parachuted into these top jobs. You know, you, you know what it's like to work at every level. And I guess that yeah. that must be what's so important as well as doing testing on vacuums. And Yeah, and it is. And like, also, you know how to talk to people. That's the yeah. thing. Like, 
I, you know, learned how to talk to people at different levels. And that has been what absolutely has helped me in my job because, you know, as a, a journalist, a business journalist at the BBC, I spent my life and I made it my mission to do this because I, I think one of the key things is we don't show enough of all the different types of businesses we have in the country. There's so many fab manufacturers. So for me, I wanted to get a camera into as many as I could and show them off. But the key was I was very comfortable in those factories and those different business settings because I'd been in them since I was 18. So that made a huge difference. You know, I knew how to talk to everyone on the factory floor. I knew how to talk to the CEO because I'd learned all this just from what I'd experienced growing up. And I think that makes a huge difference because you you understand where people are coming from a lot from a lot more and that can make you then more informed in your job. Is there a danger though, and I'm thinking about something you said in 2018 when you said that, you know, we don't value apprenticeships enough, that people are not given the same esteem as when they've gone straight down the academic route. And I believe that's categorically wrong. Is there a danger? I mean, you're obviously very confident and you were very good going into those sort of factories and and communicating with people. But is there a danger that if we don't build people's esteem who are going into these sort of areas, that actually that's just, as you said, that is categorically wrong thing to do? Well, yeah, because I think, you know, I didn't walk into these factories and be able to just chat to anyone straight away. Like when I started at Black & Decker, I mean, I was wearing like kitten heels and thinking I was, you know, ready to talk to anyone because I was used to school. But this is a whole different level because, you know, you're suddenly in an environment where people are a lot older than you and there's so much to get your head around. And there's certainly, you know, some people who might kind of think, oh, here we go. He's the latest young person to wander in thinking they know everything. So I didn't get my confidence, I don't think, beforehand. I think I got it from being in the business place. And I think it's the key here is having decent training and decent management. So, you know, we all know about the there are some apprenticeships out there which are basically, you know, kids doing golfer jobs and not really getting anything from it um and so key to apprenticeships is them being quality and that being good training and managers actually you know seeing where your weaknesses are and helping to build you through them and and that is where esteem comes from that's where definitely my confidence has come from is is actually being in the environment and having people kind of mentor both formally and informally you know as an apprentice you get a formal mentor but there are other people who did it without ever realizing they mentored me just Mm. by chatting to me and then also people who champion you in business as well who again not a formal arrangement you don't go right I want you to go around and tell everyone I'm great but you just make sure you have relationships with people where they want to go and tell people oh well have you thought of Steph for that have you thought of Georgie for that you should get them to do it they know what they're doing and having people like that really helps too and I've definitely benefited from that in my career as well I want to talk to you about the current situation because, well, we can't not. Um, Ofsted's annual report at the end of last year said that apprentices are among those learners to have missed out the most on their education because of the coronavirus restrictions. That is obviously likely to continue with the current latest restrictions. Do you think the government needs to do more to support apprentices who either seen their training impact or sadly been made redundant? Yeah, well, if you look at who and what the most important jobs have been in this pandemic, it's a lot of people who will have done vocational training, who will have done uh, apprenticeships, you know, who will have done BTEC, City and Guilds, whatever else. Those are our key workers. 
So it would be totally idiotic of the government to not support people in these jobs when we know we need them more than anyone else, quite frankly, at the moment. And so, yeah, it's really important that the government support apprenticeships. And I think what the problem has been, and it's the same in the media as well, and I've said this, you know, I said this to Gavin Williamson because I once he asked me to come and talk to him about my thoughts on um, vocational training. And I said to him, the problem is you guys have paid a lot of lip service to this because you all say, yeah, yeah, we support apprenticeships. But actually, do you know any? Do you know any apprentices? Do you, would, would you encourage your children to do an apprenticeship? What often I've heard people go to me, oh, yeah, apprenticeships are great. Oh, did I tell you my daughter's going off to do history of art at Cambridge? And you're like, well, why? What, uh, what? would you not fancy your daughter for an apprenticeship? Oh, no, 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 she's not that type of person. Okay, what type of person are they then, are we? And so it's it's that. It's like there aren't enough people in, quite frankly, the Department of Education who have done apprenticeships or vocational training. And I know they're trying to change that. And you've got brilliant people like Robert Halfen, um, who chairs the Education Select Committee, who is really banging the drum for it. But there's been for too long in both the media and in politics where there haven't been enough of those people who have actually done it and therefore can talk about why it's important. You know, for example, at the BBC, I think my greatest achievement ever in my career is getting the BBC to do a day where they celebrate people getting their vocational education results. because. We do it for GCSEs and A-levels every year. Obviously, things are a little bit different at the minute, but normally we do a whole big parade of GCSE results are out. What did you get? Blah. What did you get? People opening their results on air, that type of thing. And we never did that for vocational education, education learners. And so that was my big thing. And I remember going into a meeting with the big bosses and saying, do you know that you we never celebrate it? And they kind of were like, oh, well, I suppose... It's not that many of them. No, did you know one in four people who goes to uni gets in with a BTEC? And they were like, oh, you know, and even the first time they misspelled BTEC when I was talking about it with them. So it's like, it's that, it's just yeah. putting it in their face and going, it's not, it's not because they're kind of malicious and they kind of want to hold people down. I think it's ignorance on their part of not knowing about the fantastic people who've trained that way and the amazing jobs they're doing. And equally, a lot of those people who've done these this vocational training are quite modest and are like, oh, yeah, I wasn't very bright at school. But, yeah, you've got your own company. <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of – you hear that so much. How many times do we hear about – your Lord Sugars and your Richard Bransons and everyone else leaving school without qualifications, but yet they're amazingly creative and entrepreneurial and clever and brilliant at business and obviously so many other things. So that is what we know. We need to make sure politics and the media have enough people in who've done apprenticeships in order to be able to actually make sure people who do them are understood by the people in power and we need to give confidence to those who've done that training to to let to get them to shout about it and say yeah i'm really proud i did this absolutely we should also um give a shout out to Gillian Keegan as well the uh, yeah. uh, apprenticeships and skills minister who we spoke to in episode two so do listen back to that one but I wonder Steph though if this is a bit of a you know we can ask the government to do so much we can ask the businesses to do so much but a lot of this 
to, to my mind, is, is, is a bit of a hangover from the past. Perhaps there was a bit of a, a, a snobbery. We've spoken about that. But also because apprentices, apprenticeships probably weren't as good. And when I say past, I mean before your time as well, uh, long before, because you know, when I was growing up, the idea from my parents would be that's definitely not something that, that you do. And I wonder if this is carrying on and what we can do to change attitudes, because that's always the sort of slowest thing to change, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think you're right. I think parents quite often will say, "Oh, we want you to go to uni." If it, you know, particularly if it's uh, families where they've never had a child go to uni before, they're like, "That's what we want for you." But I think we've got to be realistic. You're getting people going to uni now who are coming out with tens of thousands of pounds of debt. And I'm not saying I'm not anti-uni at all. I think actually one of the best solutions is degree apprenticeships. I think they're fantastic. That's a great way to get, uh, you know, you, you earn while you learn. That's the great phrase goes. But I, I think it's about realism in all of this now, it, it, you know, understanding that, okay, yeah, it's really great to get a degree, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are going to get a job and it doesn't necessarily mean you're ever going to be able to pay back all that debt you've got into nothing's certain anymore like it used to be about university degrees because that you know everything's kind of diluted hasn't it there are so many different types and things have changed and people learn in different ways as I've been saying so there's there's that element to it and I think parents have got a duty to to make sure you know that they look into and and think really and listen now to the way that the world is changing with that and 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 I think that they are. I think there's lots of parents out there who now know how expensive uni is and, and can appreciate that. But then again, it comes back to the media representing and showcasing these people who have done great things with and, and, and showing that their background has been come from apprenticeships so that people can be proud of it. And it comes back to our further education colleges being properly funded as well so that actually the the FE colleges in some of our hardest communities can look appealing and can be like, yeah, actually that is where I want to go to train to be a, a welder that that and you know these are the potential prospects in front of me. So there's 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 no one thing will fix all this. But it is, but in terms of attitudes, I think it's about seeing more people talking about the importance of apprenticeships to them in their career. And it's about better funding for FE colleges they are so underfunded and it's so much more expensive to run a vocational course than it is to run an A-level class and it's never it's never given the same parity of esteem no matter how many times we've talked and heard the governments talk about that you know let's build our way out of this or the march of the makers and everything else it's it's never quite been given that same funding and that's because politicians, most of them did A-levels and went to uni and never did an apprenticeship. I guess it's now more important than ever to uh, to invest in these areas, given we've got to, uh, do I say, build ourselves, grow ourselves out of yeah. the economic mess that we sort of find ourselves in at the minute. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. You know, it, it, we've got to show people there are worthwhile routes into jobs, worthwhile jobs as well that come from all different ways and the best way isn't necessarily the academic way. And again, I'm not, it's, it kind of can sometimes sound like I'm anti-academia. I'm not, I'm someone who's got a, a degree, uh, you know, I, I I know how important they are as well, but equally it's not the only way people learn and we shouldn't write off kids when they are young because that's not how they are going to learn. You know, it's a bit like maths GCSE. So many kids struggle with maths GCSE 
And often it's just about the way that they learn because there's a strict curriculum around it. And I've spoken to kids who failed their GCSE maths, but then when they've gone into college and learned through another way, like learned through on the job learning to do with, I don't know, the maths around building something or whatever, then they understand it. So we shouldn't write people off and say, oh, just because you haven't got GCSE maths, you're not very intelligent. It's not true. Good to know. <laughs> and what would you say to someone who is uh, who's to- making the toss up or the choice between perhaps being an apprentice or going to uni or just being an apprentice altogether? What, what would you what would you say to them using your own say, experience? Think about what is the best way you learn. If you're you're someone who learns from practically doing things, then and from being in a working environment, and you might not know whether you are that type of person or not. I think the key is is just to is to try things out as well like try and do work experience when you're at school just to see whether you you know what kind of world of work you might like or not like as well you learn things a lot of things about things you don't like too and I think it's just what's the best way you you learn if you're someone who learns purely academically and that's your thing then go for it go and do a pure degree but I think the way forward now is degree apprenticeships I think they're a good way to marry the two where you know you're getting the qualification that tells the world apparently uh, that you're clever but equally you're learning on the job in a way that might suit you better I guess I know the answer to this question but you'd still advise a young Steph to do that apprenticeship now oh totally I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't there's absolutely no way in a million years I would be on telly if I hadn't have done that apprenticeship at Black and Decker no way because it, it literally got me everything. I wouldn't have ever won those awards. I wouldn't have ever then been interviewed by the media. Uh, and that's why I keep going on about it. No one would think that me doing being good at science at school and liking engineering would be the thing that led me to, you know, hosting a chat show on, on telly. But it is. That's where it started. That's where my confidence came from. That's where my knowledge about the world of work came from. So absolutely, I would, without a shadow of a doubt, I'd say don't bother with a degree, if I'm honest. If I talk, if I really went back and talked to myself, I'd, uh, my degree never gets mentioned hardly. Like, and it and it costs me a lot of money to do it, my own money, and it's kind of, I don't know. But equally, everyone, each to their own, whichever way works best for you. But don't feel bad if you're the person who's not the one who always passes exams at school because you'll find another way you'll find another way to learn and it doesn't mean you're any less than the person next to you is good at them absolutely right Stephen McGovern thank you so much you're welcome before we meet our next apprentice it hasn't exactly been the start to the new year that we would have been hoping for lockdowns have come in affecting businesses, schools and further education across the UK until at least mid-February. But what does it mean for apprentices and apprenticeship providers? And what could the rest of the new year have in store? Well, Laura Burley is the Apprenticeship Ambassador at the Open University. Laura, welcome back. Hello. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. Before we get to this fresh lockdown that we find ourselves in now, what impact have the previous restrictions had on apprentices and the world of apprenticeships so far from from what you're seeing? Well the last lockdown um, saw a big decline initially in the number of apprentices that employers were recruiting so in particular young people were badly hit so the apprenticeships that were being offered um, for example in hospitality and leisure and tourism and at the 
the lower levels, so the entry levels after you leave school, they have been um, declining since the lockdown. And what we also saw is where there were apprenticeship vacancies, there was real competition for them. So we saw a report at the back end of last year that the Go Ahead Travel Group had over 20,000 applicants for their apprenticeship programmes, including uh, a BA pilot who, who was applying. So there's a lot of demand from would-be apprentices, but not many vacancies out there. What you are also seeing is lots of adults retraining. So they might have been made redundant in a, again, in perhaps tourism, wanting to get into a different area. So the Open University, we had an apprentice called Fiaz. He was um, a bar manager in Yorkshire, 23 years old, wasn't quite sure where his career was going, what he wanted to do. So he's now um, signed up to a police constable degree apprenticeship. And I think what the last lockdown saw is there there was a bit more of a move towards the public sector apprenticeship. So people being inspired to go into healthcare, social work, uh, policing, for example. Um, So they have stayed a bit stronger, um, in particular amongst adult apprentices. And what impact do you think that this further lockdown will have? I mean, much of the, much of the same or? Well, it's quite early uh, to tell. We're only just into it. But I think what we're seeing is providers and apprenticeships, apprentices are used to this now. So they're used to working um, in a virtual world. So actually, I'm hoping that it's more about looking to the future. We've got National Apprenticeship Week coming up in February, which is the theme of it is build your future. So it's actually looking forward. Um, so I'm hoping that this lockdown, we're a bit more used to it. We know how to continue to keep colleges open for the vulnerable learners that need to go in. Um, although there is a big issue at the moment of there are four, over 40,000 apprentices that are stuck in limbo that can't complete what's called their functional skills exams. So they cannot complete their apprenticeship until they, until they do this exam. They cannot get to a, a site, obviously, during the lockdown, and it was backing up before lockdown to do that. So I would say that's one massive issue that this lockdown is going to um, exacerbate. Is there a way out of that or has it just got to, got to wait? Um, I think it's about the Department for Education working to find a solution. So obviously they've put in flexibilities for what's called the endpoint assessments for apprenticeships, but nothing around functional skills. And we're hoping, I think, that they do similar things that they what they did with GCSEs and A-levels, because that's just not fair on the apprentices just because, because they're taking a different form of um, learning to get their qualification. You work with apprentices. What are they saying to you? Are they worried? They're they're not worried. I think they're quite overwhelmed. I think as are I think as is everybody. Um, you know, nine ten months of remote working is hard. Um, if they are office based, nine ten months of working on the front line. If you are a nursing apprentice or a police or in the social work is hard. And I think everybody's reaching burnout. And I think in particular for the apprentices, it's making sure that they remain an integral part of the team. So they are still taking on big projects. They are still able to learn and earn, but they are absolutely getting the support for their mental health. So in the last lockdown, um, Open University works with Unilever and their vice president called each of their apprentices to check in on them to see how they're doing. And I think that kind of reaching out to show how important apprentices are to the business or to the hospital or wherever those apprentices work or in the trades, that, that they are valued 
So they, you know, if you're, when I'm sat in my bedroom now, if you're sat in your bedroom, you want to be reached out to and to know that you're, you're part of a team, you're working together still. And it's, it's hard, you know, 10 months on, it can be quite tiring, can't it? Absolutely. And, and a struggle, I imagine, for a lot of the training providers, you know, they will have staff who've got their own commitments, family commitments, working from home, unwell. Are they providing that level of care both for the programs as well as what you're talking about there, mental health care? Yeah, so I think that's a key thing. The training provider and the employer need to continue to speak to the apprentice to check in that they're okay. But obviously, as you say, the both the employer and training providers will be under pressure themselves with their own um, balances. But one of the things, there was an Ofsted report at the back end of last year, and one of the things actually it praised um, training providers for moving swiftly online in the last lockdown and actually actually keeping um, centres open to support vulnerable learners. And I really have faith in those training providers. Everybody has the welfare of the apprentices at, at heart. So they'll be trying to work to the best of their um, ability. Um, but it's just making sure that that dialogue is there because it's so hard to do it in a virtual environment. You know, everybody needs to be kind of putting their hands up to say, we need some help here. There are a lot of apprentices that still don't have the technology. So there's that digital poverty, but there's also space poverty. So you know, that 18-year-old might not actually have the space in their house that they're sharing with their parents and their younger siblings to have that dedicated space to do their apprenticeship and to work. So it's, it's really challenging. But again, I'd encourage anyone, if they are in that position, speak to their employer, speak to their training provider, because there are the training provider can help. But there are also, also other people donating laptops and wanting to do more to support um, apprentices with their learning. An incredibly challenging time uh, for everybody involved. The economic impact, as we know, of the pandemic is worsening all the time. But let's try and focus on I guess, going forward, some of the positives, the, the role that apprenticeships can play in, in rebuilding the British economy. And is there enough support and emphasis on apprenticeships for them to fulfil that potential? So apprenticeships are going to be absolutely vital for the economic recovery because they are connected to a job. So in getting people the right skills they need, um, they can learn whilst they earn, that it's going to help the UK get back on its feet. You know, if we think about where the skills gaps are, they're in cyber, digital, health and social care, even that, you know, green technologies and management and leadership. And all of those have got apprenticeships connected to them. Are the businesses ready to create those vacancies? And in particular, are the small businesses ready to create those vacancies when they've spent such a long time having to focus on that day-to-day cash flow? I mean, obviously, there will be some businesses that will say they just simply cannot afford to invest, they don't have the resources, the finance. But you know, for those that can, this could actually be a massive opportunity for them. You think? Absolutely. But it's not. I mean, if you talk about investment, the large businesses have already paid the levy. They pay, um, I guess, some call it a form of tax. So they're already they've already spent the money. So they can draw that back down to to use it for an apprenticeship. For the small businesses, they can get the money to spend on an apprenticeship. Anyway, it's called levy transfer. So the large employers can transfer their funds to the small employers. So a small employer only needs to pay 5% of an apprenticeship. So in theory, actually, that that apprenticeship is already paid for. What you do need to think about, obviously, is you're not paying for the wages for that apprentice. But as soon as that apprentice starts working, 
there's what's called this halo effect. So what that apprentice is learning can bring, they can bring back to the business from day one and implement that learning. And not everyone around them is also benefiting from that learning that they're gaining. So actually what's that return on investment comes through quite quickly. And I suppose for apprentices themselves, I mean, you spoke at the start about people perhaps slightly older as well, wanting to retrain. And a lot of people are thinking about whether I mean if they have to think about this some people of course have been made redundant but other people are actually thinking about what they want to do to make them happy what jobs will be good in the future etc this is a real opportunity for people to think about their work their lives and to retrain to to plug gaps caused by the pandemic but also it's to grow as people to to fulfill job ambitions apprenticeships can do that because you can learn and earn and I think one thing in this uh, lockdown now is that maybe this is the opportunity to we well, have to, you know to take stock and, and think about it again so the open university has actually been working with um, job centers and job center plus to think about before you make that move into an apprenticeship perhaps there's some short courses free courses or training you can do to determine do you do you want to go into digital do you want to go into cyber is health and social care for me. So I think it's um, taking advantage of all the free courses out there. Um, the Department for Education's got a new school skills toolkit, it's called, where you can again take advantage of these free courses as an idea, get, get, give you an idea about whether you, whether you want to go into um, a different type of career. This podcast is called All About Apprenticeships. And a big part of the apprenticeship story is, of course, the experience of the apprentices themselves. So we check in on each episode with one of our group of five apprentices. And this week, it's number two. We're going to meet Jasmine King from Norwich. Jasmine, thank you so much for talking to us. Um, What is your apprenticeship? Hi, Georgie. So my apprenticeship is with Flagship Group and they're a housing association working to solve the housing crisis in the east of England. So my apprenticeship is called the Bright Futures Degree Apprenticeship, which is four years long, whereby I'm currently studying my level four in housing before I then progress on to level five and six degree in chartered management. And then within my apprenticeship, I rotate departments around the whole business. And the idea is to experience our wide range of teams in the first few years before choosing which area of the business I would like to permanently work with at the end of my apprenticeship. You sent us a message which we actually played out in the previous episode in which you said that you knew you really didn't want to go to university. Why were you so clear about that? I'll go back a bit. So before my apprenticeship, I was at sixth form studying A-levels and I was also working um, in retail at the weekends and I actually applied to university. So I knew that I wanted to continue my education and study degree level And I felt like there was a lot of pressure from my college to apply. So I did. And I sent my offers out and got, um, you know, like confirmation from them. And I definitely had like a light bulb moment when I kind of realized this isn't for me. And I felt like I kind of rushed into trying to make a decision. So at the time, it felt like a great idea. But as time progressed, I became more and more uneasy. And I as independent as I may be, I didn't want to move away from home. And I was worried about signing up for a course that I wasn't definite on studying Mm -hmm. and just closing doors. I wanted to get out there and really promote myself and create my personal brand. So 
when I had that moment of realization I didn't want to go the reality sunk in and thankfully at this point I could recall all my offers and applications so I did and when I did that it felt like a huge weight off my shoulders and I could properly look at my future career so I met with my careers advisor at um, my college quite a bit and we spoke through some options and as we researched more and found you know apprenticeships and the different opportunities out there it fully consolidated my decision and I'm so happy that I chose this pathway because I don't think I'd have progressed anywhere near as much as I have now. I'm so impressed Jasmine when I was your age I had nothing like that sort of personal insight as to what to do it was just follow a career path that you know was laid out for me from a young age and and actually it shows a real strength of character but what does an average day or, or week look like for you? I'm working at home from the moment, probably like a lot of us. Um, so I have the usual emails, calls and meetings. And the great thing is that I work Monday to Friday. So then I have all the evenings and weekends to myself, which when I was in education, doing my A-levels, I didn't really have that because I was studying and revising. So I mentioned briefly that I rotate departments. So I currently work in our charity called Hopestead which is dedicated to ending homelessness in the east of England. So I currently project manage a coronavirus assist initiative for flagship group customers and support um, the team. We've got quite a few wider support schemes that we're looking to roll out in the future. Um, So I support them with that. And I also support the planning and designing of our social media posts. And I do a lot of the data analysis and kind of like pool reports for the board. And then a requirement of my apprenticeship is 20% off the job. So this is equivalent to one day a week where I'll study, I'll do my assignments and I'll meet with my training provider. But there's also a lot of other sort of extracurricular activities I do. So I'm really passionate about apprenticeships and I love to get involved in other things. So I am the Norfolk lead and social media lead for the East of England Young Apprentice Ambassador Network. And it's a great way to meet new apprentices, share my story And it is all voluntary, but I've been able to deliver lots of presentations virtually at the moment to schools and colleges. And it's great to inspire students about apprenticeships. Also in my week, I'm involved with an organisation called the Association of Apprentices. And I've recently joined their Apprentice Council for 2021. So every now and then we'll meet together and have a council meeting. Um, But I'm really looking forward to being part of the apprentice-led community and help others maximise their potential. So it seems like you're keeping busy then uh, during (laughs) lockdown, um, it sounds. I mean, earlier though, we were speaking to Laura Burley, and I think this is quite important. You spoke there about inspiring people and and a sort of a network of support. Uh, And Laura, was, who was the apprenticeship ambassador at the Open University, was talking about the mental health support particularly uh, from apprenticeship providers what what are you getting from your training provider to to mitigate the impact of of lockdown and how it might be affecting you uh, and the role that you're doing and in the future as well your concerns perhaps over the future yeah so I think when we first went into lockdown back in March which seems so 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 long ago I was very nervous and I think a lot of us were because we didn't know what it was going to look like. Um, But flagship, as well as my training provider, we went remote straight away. Um, So we moved from sort of we'd normally meet with our training provider and spend the whole day with them sort of every three weeks. But we moved this to Microsoft Teams. 
And what's great about my training provider is that I have a tutor and a mentor. So I have a great support network there. And I know that if I ask for more support and guidance, that they'll more than willingly give it to me. And then it was in place before the pandemic and we have um, mentoring reviews and it's a great way to kind of make sure that I am on track with my learning. And that has definitely helped throughout the lockdown because it is difficult when you're not meeting people face to face. And it it's all about being open and honest. And if you are struggling to speak up and my training provider, as well as my employer, have been great and they've been able to listen and there's so much support they've been able to offer me. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been great. I think it's definitely a worry. At the, it was a worry at the beginning because we didn't know what it was going to look like. And I've just been so thankful to continue my apprenticeship and continue working and learning through the pandemic. And finally, before I let you go, where do you hope your apprenticeship will take you in the future? Oh, good question. I think at the moment I'm loving it. I love the work I do. I love my teams. And I love being able to do stuff like this and do a lot of career events, obviously virtually at the moment. So I would really like to be able to continue that work past past my apprenticeship when I finish, because I don't see a reason to stop. I'd love to continue to work in sort of the apprenticeship sector, but working in Hopestead and being on the charity side of things is just so amazing. So I'm, I'm a little bit torn at the moment between which side to go. And I don't want to close any doors, um, but I'd love to continue to inspire people and just educate and promote apprenticeships because they are honestly amazing. We've done a very good job of that today. Jasmine, thank you so much. As I said, we'll be checking in on all five of our apprentices throughout the series. Thank you also to Steph McGovern and Laura Burley and, of course, to you for listening to this episode of All About Apprenticeships. If you have any questions or comments on what was said today or you want to share your own experiences, you can find the HomeServe Foundation on Twitter at HSV underscore foundation. Just use the hashtag All About Apprenticeships. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a rating and hit subscribe wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people find us. <laughs>